Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, brought to you by Roast House Pub, one of Frederick's finest craft beer and culinary destinations, where great people come to drink amazing beer. Visit them to track their taps and menu at roasthousepub.com, or download the digital pour app to track what's on tap. This is episode 121, and I'm your host, Chris Sands. Today we have a packed studio with the bad boys of Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> Or self-proclaimed, Half a glass or, or, right or, right. yeah. As as we're drinking uh, pilsners, um, badass. <laughs> we have the gentleman from Diamondback Brewing. Is it Brewing Company or just Brewing? Or, I, I always Diamondback forget the beer. Diamondback Diamond. Brewing Company Co. It's like everyone everyone comes <laughs> up with their own ending to come <laughs> yeah. with. I always get I forget to look depends on the federal which. government's asking or if Frederick News Post is asking. Okay. You know? <laughs> Two totally different ones. Um, all right, gentlemen, since there, we have so many uh, men in here talking, I'm going to have you introduce yourselves so that people can get an idea of who is saying what. Uh, so we'll start with you. All right. Colin Marshall, uh, co-founder of Diamondback. Uh, Zach Kaiser, marketing and sales at Diamondback. Distro. And I'm Tom Foster. I am the brewer and co-founder of Diamondback. So thank you for joining me again. So it's been... I think a little bit over a year since you guys were originally in yeah. um, and a decent amount has changed since then. I think actually shortly after you were on, there was almost like a little bit of a business model change because mm -hmm. um, when you were on your, I mean, you're still making uh, a lot of the same stuff with the, your hot broth and those types of things, but you seem to be maybe a little bit more focused on the like can release culture type of thing, but now you've almost done a 180 sort of. Um, so I think what you use the slogan slow, there's more than just slow beer or is it just slow beer? Slow or? beer is main one that kind of takes hold on most of this, on most of the social media. Okay. I would so, say. so, and then what that means is that, um, you are selling a lot of loggers now. Um, correct. I assume yeah, we have a lot of loggers and, we have a barrel-aged stout for you today, and then we also have our mixed fermentation program going. Okay, so it's just encompassing any beer that spends a lot of time yeah. in a vessel before it gets <laughs> in put essence, into... Yeah. I would say short-term, long-term blend. You know? okay. So your short-term, two-week turnaround ales that you can can and have available every Thursday mostly, usually three to four releases per, per month. And then your long-term stuff, like your barrel-aged stouts, your... Loggers that are in the tank from anywhere from eight to twelve weeks, and then um, the mixed fermentation, which is still not released quite yet. So, what made you guys kind of do that switch to want to, um, instead of your typical small craft brewery, just sticking with the hoppy beers or um, fruited kettle sours? to um going with your sponsor of cores and <laughs> make for anyone just listening um <laughs> colin is wearing a core shirt <laughs> oh gee <laughs> bank with on a bus, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> what's that You're on a bus there yeah <laughs> so, this is pre-mountains or blue type, type <laughs> here. so well, i so yeah back then how did people know when it was safe to drink it if if there weren't any mountains, <laughs> and it was you, you could accidentally drink a warm beer. Yeah, they had to pain their way through a <laughs> <Yeah>. warm course. <laughs> uh, so, what attracted you guys to wanting to focus more on lagering? And 
I mean, I would, I, yeah, I'd go Tom first. I think, like, in terms of lagering, we started out and we did, uh, like, one beer. It was Cold Taxi, which was a Keller beer. Um, and since then, we've sort of branched off. We've done a Pilsner. We've done a Hellas, a couple Kolsch's here and there. And for us, it's in my opinion, where you have your most hands-on approach to cellaring. So you can choose how long that lager is fermenting for, how long it's sitting kind of in between primary and lager, and how long you want to lager it for. So it's really cool from a brewer's standpoint to see the evolution of a lager from, you know, initial fermentation, it's sulfury as hell, it looks cloudy as hell, and seeing it from that final product where it's clear, crystal clear, great hop aroma, smooth malt flavor. Whereas, like, you know, you brew an IPA, and it sort of doesn't really change too much as it's fermenting through primary and secondary. You know, you can dry hop it here and there. You have certain ways to transform the beer, but at the end of the day, it's kind of keeping its own character throughout that process. Um, So for us, it's just really cool to be able to play around with different lagering schedules to achieve, you know, that perfect, crisp, delicious Pilsner that we're trying to aim for. So is that when you're, um, does that mean throughout the process, if you're lagering something, are you tasting For a sure. lot more often than you would like an IPA or yeah, so like to know when we have to decide when it's yeah, finished? We have a Pilsner that we brewed back in September. And so it's in the bright tank now. So it's kind of near the end of its lifespan cellaring. And it's kind of like a weekly thing now <laughs> where you're sampling it every week and saying, is it quite ready yet? And, you know, like the sales team and everybody's like, yeah, it's, it's ready. Just freaking package it and let's get it out the door. <laughs> but honestly, like from experience, it really does change even like one week after the other. And so it's like you have to wait until it's perfect and then you're ready to go. So the I, – I mean, I assumed you were just going to say that you did it because you wanted to show off. Because um, <laughs> <No. laughs> <laughs> I, I, that's I, it's one of the things like about a pilsner is that if you didn't make it correctly, you're going to be able to tell really quickly. Cause yeah, there's no place to hide any sort of off flavors. There's not, and, and it's I wouldn't say it's like a thing of showing off. It's just in the world today, in the market today, there's so many IPAs. Like there's great IPA producers everywhere you look now. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's fun. Like I like producing IPAs and I think we produce some pretty solid ones. Um, but like there's only so much variation you can put into an IPA. There's only so much ways to be different if there's 600 people producing IPAs. Whereas, you know, a Pilsner is, there's people that make them and there's people that make great ones in the state of Maryland, but it's not as commonplace as these yeah. IPAs, And so it's fun to be able to put something out there that, you know, is not getting that spotlight. And it should be getting that spotlight because a great Pilsner, in my opinion, is better than any IPA you could possibly make. I think it's also not about selling it and as much as what the consumer wants, but also what we enjoy drinking, too. Because, you know, we always talk about, you know, everybody loved that half batch of Green Machine Nelson that just came out. Let's do it again. Well, there's a variety of reasons we don't do it again. It's also that, you know, we kind of maybe want to put another lager into that tank and let it roll. Um, or, you know, that hop is just wicked expensive and we're not ready to just kind of pull the trigger on that quite yet. And it's also about, um, like, being able to determine, like, what we want to drink and what also we want to produce in the basement. And it certainly is about giving the consumer what they want too, but it's also about, like, hey, we're, we have to remember that we're producing this beer as well. Like, do we like what we're actually doing? Yeah, I've I've often joked that it's it's brewers and 
and maybe even to some extent employees of breweries are the only people who get excited about pilsners. <laughs> like it's the only people I've ever seen that get excited whenever another brewery releases a pilsner. Yeah, and we're, another we're brewer. trying to change that atmosphere a little bit. Like we have foam Fridays now. So like Zach has been marketing that pretty heavily and you come into the brewery on Friday and you can get, you know, a, a mug full of pilsner for four fifty. It's our cheapest draft pint. And, you know, being able to do that, kind of creates this atmosphere where people can get excited about these lager beers that otherwise would probably be overshadowed by the IPAs that are on tap. I mean, I think a lot of it's sharing a lot of the kind of European aspects of like those type of beers and how they're served too. Like we want to showcase that experience in our tap room a little bit via the mugs, via, um, you know, just coming in to enjoy people and the beer is almost in the background, but it's always really good and really clean, and you can have a couple of them and be comfortable going home and all those kinds of things. So, And also, I wonder, so the, as craft beer fans, I think we often forget that there's we're actually in the minority, the vast minority of beer drinkers, and there's a whole, what, like maybe 90% of, of the beer drinking world <laughs> that wear Coors T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> and and laughing so stock does, of the podcast. <laughs> so does um, has the focus of um, lagering <clears throat> and um, making a, a absolutely clean and delicious pilsner has that helped with bringing in a larger audience that may not necessarily want to drink craft beer. I think so. Like Opto, our Pilsner was our second fastest moving beer last month, and that's the first time that's ever happened since we've opened the tap room that it wasn't an IPA in the top two. So I think it's a pretty good indication that your average Joe that comes in is willing to drink something like that just as fast as they are, like a green yeah. machine or something. Whereas, you know, you have your intense craft beer fans who love IPAs, they love sour beer and stuff like that. They might not be quite as prone to drinking Pilsner, but that's sort of what we're trying to change a little bit, open people's eyes to the other side of lager brewing. Well, I think it's probably just for so many years of um, just the, a negative image because mm -hmm. it was mainly the macros that were putting out Pilsners right. and things. So it was kind of almost like, I don't want to drink that because that's what the big guys do. Sure. And, they kind of gave their styles a bad name maybe because yep. I, would, I would think for the most part, like Oktoberfest were really the only uh, mm -hmm. lager that most people were drinking a lot of if they were a craft beer fan. Yep, for sure. I mean, it's there's still a negative connotation to it. I think people see Pilsner or they see, you know, just lager on the board and they're like, eh, I don't know, it's 5%. I'm going to get a 7% IPA. I get more bang for my buck. And so finding a way to bridge that gap is sort of our mission right now. I think there was a point <clears throat> also when uh, beer made its way over to the United States long, long time ago. And uh, then the American capitalism got a hold of it. And it just said, you know, let's make as much as this as possible um, and kind of grow our margins, which meant that we need to integrate some sort of adjunct ingredient into it. And <clears throat> Europe still hold, for the most part, the smaller breweries um, still hold. And I would think that the larger breweries, too, over there still hold that traditional um, Pilsner malt or whatever sort of malt they might be using to depend on the lager that they're using or they're brewing um, to actually produce it. 
and they still produce it in quantities, maybe not as large as the macro over here. Um, but it's come full circle with us where this beer is still able to um, have some, you're able to transform this beer into something that is actually tasting not quite like an IPA, obviously, but it still tastes um, super delicious without cutting into adjunct ingredients um, to try to extend it as far as you possibly can. So I, w I would assume that the um, ingredients the, for a Pilsner are much cheaper than, say, hop broth. Sure. <laughs> um, but, but is that is that that savings negated by the amount of time that needs to then s sit yeah, in a tank yes, for sure yeah i mean because you, <laughs> you i mean you mentioned one had been in a tank since september yeah and that's... sometimes they're in the tank for four months um and so like you could pump out six green machines in that time essentially yeah. so you're throwing potentially like fifteen thousand dollars away to mature a lager the way it should be matured and so it's a battle it's how much can you really weigh the value of that versus actual money um yeah. so <laughs> it depends who you're asking in the company the question <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think i'm excited to see because I, I think some people who haven't been exposed to some lagers there's so much depth within the styles like keller beer has you know variations that you know 10 to 20 variations within keller beer or pilsner or you know, Hellas Lager, you know, that have, have hundreds of years of history. And Baltimore brewed a lot of German lagers, you know, when the brewing history in Baltimore started. So it's kind of fun to, I don't know, to explore that personally. Do you think um, hoppy lagers is a trend that kind of fizzled out and went away? Or do you think that'll gain steam? Because it seemed like it was starting to, like, more places were mm -hmm. coming out with them. And then it just died off really quickly yeah it's challenging to brew like a really well like hoppy lager dry hopped lager however you want to phrase it like i've had some like jack's abbey up in new england does a bunch of ipls and they're fantastic that's their whole business model that's essentially all they do is lager beer so all of their hoppy beers are lagered and we do one cold taxi which is like we label it a zwickle beer um it's a dry hopped keller beer essentially and uh, it's challenging because at the end of lagering, essentially what you want to do is raise the temperature back up to around 60 degrees, 50 degrees, dry hop it so that you can actually extract that hop flavor. Then you have to re-lager it for a little while. So it's a lengthier process. Um, it's challenging to do and it's challenging to get that hop flavor in there. And you're sort of battling against what the traditional style calls for. It's calling for clean, not hoppy. Yeah. Um, and so finding a way to kind of blend that together is what a brewer should probably be doing when they're making an IPL or any kind of hopped lager, and that's what we shoot for. It's tough, but I, I don't know if it's died out per se, but I definitely don't see many of them. So is it during that th those temperature changes for when you're doing the dry hop, it, does that run the risk of uh, off flavors being introduced during those changes, not, or is it not? Not particularly. Like at that point in time you've probably gotten most of the yeast out of okay. the beer so there's no autolysis worry or anything like that so raising it up is more so just to make sure you're extracting maximum hot flavor into so the beer. it's way late in it's the pretty much like pro pretty close to before you're going to package it like okay. a zwickle beer is typically 
uh, less mature than like a Pilsner or something like that. So you don't have to really worry about ultra clarifying it and getting it tasting super crisp. So you can kind of just take it from dry hop to package relatively quickly. Production team will tell us they're about to release it and they're like, ah, it's another uh, six weeks <laughs> on this one. So <laughs> it all depends on, on what the driver's seat is doing over here. And and that is our whole business model, too, of production <laughs> driving the marketing as well. So it's it works out in the end. Yeah. I promise you. It is. I only, I only sense a, a slight bit of frustration <laughs> in, in that. Look, man, you got to have some a sense of humor about <laughs> yeah. the frustration at the same time. You know, patience, like, man, patience. Yep, yeah. yep. head's still above water at this point. So we're, Again, we're the finance good. man's not here today. So if he was here, <laughs> you'd be, he'd be hearing story. a whole other show. Which one? One or two? <laughs> yeah. We've had two of them now. Yeah. So another question I had is I saw um, you had talked about it once. What's raw ale? I have no idea what raw ale is. So we did. We've sort of we have a small tank at the brewery that is kind of our experimental tank. Um, and we have been enjoying doing sort of like revival beers. So we do beer styles that kind of died out and we bring them back. And a raw ale is essentially like an ancient ale from Scandinavia area. And it's brewed with a certain type of yeast that's kind of like a familial yeast over there. It's kind of passed down from family to family and kind of isolated in that way. And then it's unboiled, so you retain like a lot of protein in the beer, a lot of that sweetness. And uh, it's brewed with juniper branches, so you get kind of like a earthy, woodsy kind of flavor to it. And then fermented really hot. So you get a lot of yeast ester from it. So you actually did a really cool thing. You didn't actually brew it with it. We steeped the juniper branches in the hot liquor tank. We did, yeah. So instead of just throwing juniper branches like into the mash, we steeped the hot liquor tank with all the juniper branches. So essentially, the beer that or the water that we used to brew the beer was like a tea, sort of like a tea kind of thing. So that was a little interesting twist on it. Yeah. But it was weird, man. It was very polarizing beer. People either loved it or they <laughs> could not even taste it. They'd yeah. be like, nah, I'm good. I think there was some wine drinkers that came into the tap room and loved that beer because yeah. it was very – it kind of like, fit that flavor profile for One 60-year-old woman came in and just pounded it like one Sunday. <laughs> I was just like, what? This woman's on another level, man. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, she had a lot of years yeah, of practice. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so the – Another thing I didn't realize, well, the first time I talked to you guys, um, I hadn't been to the brewery yet. I've been there a couple times now. The place is beautiful. And I think that you may have one of the best possible locations Hmm. for a brewery in the Baltimore area. Because located right next to a huge parking deck. (laughs) Free, by the way. (laughs) Um, And... A large, I, I'm assuming, high-end apartment complex mm-hmm. with a Order lot of people who probably have disposable income. Um, so hopefully they those guys visit you a lot. Sure. But so what, what is your philosophy or why you won't do flights of beer? Hmm. Um, I, that's a whole team philosophy. <laughs> I don't think anybody really fights each other on this one. Because if I even go to a brewery nowadays and they're offering, you know, four four-ounce tasters, um, I just don't get it. I think it's a, uh, I, I don't buy that. I just either get two f- eight ounces, two four ounces, or I just grab a 16 ounce and go right off the bat um, and drink the entire thing. I think our philosophy is that like 
to re- remain at, as least pretentious as we possibly can uh, that like just don't want you muddling four different flavors all at once. Like if mm. you made a sour IPA and then you had an IPA and then you had a stout and then you had a, an English mild next to it, um, all four of those beers are completely different. Um, and whether you know it or not, they're just kind of like wrecking a palate and melding them together. Um, and it's also about kind of like drinking, I guess, um, not in moderation, but instead of putting four in front of you, I put two in front of you. And if you want two more, then you can get two more. And it's pretty much the same price as a full flight as well. Um, that's kind of our philosophy behind it. Um, and people have really gotten over it. You get people that come in and say, hey, do you do flights? Nope, we don't do flights. We do two uh, eight-ounce pours for you. Um, and then you can you know, move on from there if you would like. They're like, all right, that's cool. I'll take these two. Um, and they're okay with it. We don't get anybody who is coming in and, and completely bastardizing us or anything like that, <laughs> chastising us for, for not having a flight. I mean, I think the eight-ounce pour has an experience that we want to showcase. Like, I think Tom does a really good job of brewing beers that change over the course of an eight-ounce drink. Like, when I first drink this Nelson, I'm getting kind of, like, intense hot flavors, and as it starts to warm up slowly, those things kind of get to meld together with kind of like the standard green machine flavor that you get and i just like i think that that's what we're trying to showcase in a lot of beers that a flight when you get a little taste you kind of just get a burst of flavor and you're not getting like a a full experience of different types of flavors through the beer what's that there's a lot of breweries that i've heard the comments from even i mean the places that do do flights because i mean most places do offer flights where they hate when people order flights and then <laughs> review the beers yeah. because they're not taking into account that they went in the wrong order and drank a, a imperial stout before yeah. a pilsner or something or, like that. Or they wrecked their palate completely by drinking a, a double right. IPA first and then moving on yeah. to the... I mean, should we care that much? Probably not a lot. Um, it's not about just taking your money. It's also about an experience and also about, uh, being able to educate yourself about what you're drinking and how you're drinking it. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, I I don't think it's about, um, really just coming in and just grabbing your money for a flight. It's more about actually being able to understand, uh, being a little bit different than what other people might do around because every brewery did a flight, then it, you know, would just be the same. Um, it's about a little bit different experience when you come through our doors as well. All right. So we're going to take a Real quick break to cool. thank um, Roast House Pub and the uh, Maryland Distillers Guild. I think I got that right. Because um, so, uh, well, they're, they're having their um, Spirits Festival again nice. in April in right here in Frederick. Uh, so we'll take a quick break to give uh, them thanks. And uh, when we come back, I want to talk about um, it will be leading from – flights because i want to talk about untapped reviews Uh, (laughs) (laughs) were you at the uh the waverly show when tim yeah um, i hosted it oh okay (laughs) sorry (laughs) Uh, your spelling bee overshadowed that one the other night so right so that uh we'll be back shortly a huge thank you to our presenting sponsor roast house pub which is located at 5700 urbana pike in frederick maryland If you have listened to this podcast before, you have definitely heard me go on and on about the beer dinners that Chef Nico creates. Simply put, they are amazing. But Roast House Pub has much more to offer. Their friendly staff is knowledgeable about beer and will help you choose from among the 20 beers they have on tap. In addition to the awesome beer selection, the food is always amazing. 
make sure to follow them on Facebook and check their website at www.roasthousepub.com to keep up to date on their constant stream of events. The Frederick Spirits Festival is coming back to the Frederick Fairgrounds on April 20th for a day of food, music, and local spirits. Find your inner mixologist with a cocktail mixing seminar with sampling included with a crafting pass, or join us for the spirits sampling by picking up a tasting pass. Liven up your liquor cabinet with local Maryland spirits. For more information and tickets, go to frederickspiritsfestival.com. All right, before we go to um, untapped reviews, we, we were just talking about hops we like. Um, the Nelson is great. What do you guys think of Idaho 7? We've used it a couple times. I think it's one of the worst hops ever made. <laughs> really? Yeah, I How hate it. How was it used when you it's, drank it? I've tried... I. Um, a couple like where it was the like IPA center, style. yeah, IPAs okay. or just a pale ale where it was the like showcase, mm-hmm. um, not quite like a single hop, but like the marquee yeah. hop in it. I, I found like, it works better as a blend personally. I've, I've never used it on its own, but every time I blend it with something, I almost get like a fruity pebble flavor from it, which is kind of cool. I've um, I've stopped even trying beers with it <laughs> really? at this point because everyone I've had is just awful. Huh. Interesting. Here's a good question for you. Ooh. Do you think that it's important to have the hops in the descriptions of beers, or would you rather have like an open mind of not knowing? Um. Well, if it was someone who snuck Idaho 7 into a <laughs> beer, then yes, I would want to know <laughs> so that I didn't waste my money on the garbage. <laughs> but see, now but, I want to make a beer with <laughs> Idaho 7 that, that tricks you into Chris, seeing it in a new way. Idaho 7 was in this beer. <laughs> Then, then I'm not going to drink it. <laughs> uh, so I probably none of the ones I've had that I didn't like were um, where it was a blend or sure. like a supporting um, hop. They were all like one of them. I think it was like um, Flying Dogs single hop series where it's an IPA, which is the one hop, and like that was that was when I my hatred of Idaho seven started Mm, uh, and then it grew from there. Um, So to answer your question, I, I I don't think that it's, that it is necessary. Um, Cause I, I, for the most part, when I'm ordering a beer or getting something, I I don't have any idea what the hot blend is. Um, Cause I think a lot of breweries too, unless it's made with galaxy or Citra or, like a really popular hop. It's not really yeah. advertised much because yeah. it's not it's not necessarily going to help sell the beer. Yeah. I like the green hops a little bit more. I mean, that's kind of the way that we talked about the Nelson working in this one. Yeah. Um, I personally like the way that that came off, um, but for a variety of reasons, we're not going to use it that often. Um, Galaxy's obviously sought after. It has a little bit more of that, that green to it. But it also has like pretty big candy flavors, like mosaic. I'm not crazy about. Um, I know there's you know that citra mosaic combination works well, just because it's that American version with uh, is mosaic a, a down under hop. No, it's American. Oh, all right. Well, um, yeah, it's just all about the combo. But I, I personally like it being a little bit more green if I'm going to drink the IPA. Um, I don't want sort of that like candy flavor, or maybe something that's a little fruit bit more fruity. juice. Yeah. Not with it being like, it doesn't matter if the residual sugar was left a little bit higher. 
on the fermentation, um, it's just more about how heavily was it dry hopped and what was it dry hopped with, really. Because um, this was, it's just green machine base with just a higher dry hop um, and obviously a different hop too. But if you just went, you know, 25 pounds of citronella every time you made green machine, I don't know if we'd still be in business at the moment or if, uh, or if we'd still be making it, but it would, I mean, it would pop much bigger than it actually does. But for a house IPA, there's no reason to make it, make it pop big, make your one-off and specialty beers kind of pop bigger than your house, house yeah. beer does. So flying dog has a newish podcast that they do with Roche from DC one one. They did a whole episode recently about um, untapped and uh, feelings towards it. Um, what were their feelings? Uh, Kristen, their their um, I'm not sure what her title is now. But I think she runs a tasting room and some right. others. Uh, they I think she, she has to see everybody on their phone. Like, yeah, so she she solidly hates it okay. uh, and very vocally hates it. All right. Um, ben Savage is also one of the co-hosts. Their um, chief marketing officer. He um, just is unaware <laughs> of it or just pays no attention gotcha. to untapped whatsoever. And um, Roche was a firm believer and thought it that it was one of the most revolutionizing things <laughs> in craft beer. I'm glad he took another stance on that one. Then. Yeah. So it was it was a w- nice rounded out opinions of it from hatred to love. Okay. Um, what are your guys' opinions on it? So I would think that maybe in some way you do care or – well, maybe you don't care at all, but I, another thing it leads into that is that when, and it was one of Kristen's ex- examples of why she hates untapped is that people order a flight of beer and then leave a review based on having four ounces of that beer. Yeah. I, I love it. Um, and I also don't use it. So like I'll go on and, and look at beers that we've brewed before, or maybe like there's a beer that is a rarity and i'll pull up and say you know how's this beer been rated before what have people said um or you're at a restaurant you've never drank any of the beers on tap and you're stuck between two of them and you just kind of look at one or two of them and say uh okay i'll choose this one um i think the hard part about it and i'm a little bit more old school in this this reasoning is that like when you get a beer like it shouldn't be like Oh, I'm out of brewery. I just got this brand new beer or this beer that I haven't tried yet. And it's on tap. Like, let me taste it. And then let me immediately go to my phone. And like, whether you're with people or not, you're not soaking in the experience around that, you. That was the next, um, criticism, big criticism that Kristen yeah. had is that she, and that's a big part of why I stopped using untapped. Um, was that I felt like I wasted so much time when I, was, when I was out with my friends trying to find it and then yeah. like the whole. And here's Chris like stuck in his phone yeah. while everybody else is just kind of like, you know, chit-chatting about whatever's going on in their lives. And so, I think that should be sort of the centerpiece of, of when you're drinking beers. It shouldn't be the beer is the centerpiece. It should be the people you're with or the environment that you're in or if the bartender's free to talk to you at that time, um, then it should be that. It's one thing if you go to a bar by yourself. I mean, that's totally different situation which we're all guilty of it's not a bad thing um it's just kind of like well what else am i gonna do go yeah (laughs) they're at that table with that random person no not at all i'm gonna i mean i'm not gonna judge anyone for using untapped like there's people who use it in ways that they think is beneficial and other 
people that use it in other ways that think it's beneficial. Stop turning away from the mic. Sorry. <laughs> he likes to rock. Chris. I know, I like to rock. Hit me off his damn it, chair man. all day. Well, anyway, so I think, like, there I just go. think that people on untapped, like, people can use untapped in a lot of different ways, some of them beneficial to them. Um, I mean, I think it's great for keeping track of what you've had. Um, but again, I think the experience thing, like, we want people to come into the tap room and hang out with their friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what got me into beer, was just hanging out with my friends and trying new things. It so I think untapped. people like this should stop using untapped. So if if you were to order a beer that was advertised as a sour IPA with pineapple, okay. what sort of flavors would you expect to experience in that beer? Tart pineapple. So you wouldn't leave a review that says, weirdly pineapple like a pineapple pizza when you pick the pineapples off, but you miss seven pieces. Jesus. <laughs> no, Chris, I would not leave a review like that. I personally think untapped is a joke. Uh, I think it creates this atmosphere where people are constantly looking for the best, and it's like, yeah, that. oh, this beer is not a 4 I'm not going to drink it. Every beer is not going to be the best beer that you drink. Every beer is not going to be amazing. Every beer is not going to even be good. But... You know, every beer is what it is. And did you enjoy it? Did you not enjoy it? That's all that matters at the end of yeah. the day. You don't need to be giving it a rated score between zero and five to, you know, make you convince yourself it was good or bad. Just drink it. Is it good? Is it not good? It's not that hard. Actually, that would be a good, like a, a hidden um, setting on there that you could just make a note to yourself. Order, would you buy this again? Yes sure. or no? Yeah, <laughs> like, that's right. easy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the rating concept is so circumstantial. Like, yeah, like it oh, depends on your mood, yeah. where you're, how you are. It's like, a good resource to like keep track of what you've drank, maybe. Yeah. Like, I know a lot of people that use I, it for that. That's what I used to do and yeah. when, when I would rate stuff. But I like I stopped rating uh, a few years ago. Um, I actually know for a while I just gave everything fives to counteract sure. morons. <laughs> um, but then someone told me that Untapped actually weights your reviews so if you do nothing but fives your review your five doesn't um it's it well it's weighted less on the average number gotcha um so like if you go through and give ones to everything your one won't have as much of an impact as someone who rates all across the board yeah um but i used to like i'm not i feel like what I, how I used to rate beers is actually completely wrong and unfair to breweries. I, because I was just using it for myself on whether mm. I would order something again, I compared everything to Nugget Nectar <laughs> because Nugget Nectar was one of the first beers I ever had Still when I was using delicious. Untapped that was a five to me. Yeah. And so I rated every beer on how I liked it compared to Nugget Nectar, um, which now, when I say that out loud, is extremely unfair <laughs> <laughs> to breweries because it would even be like, and I can recognize that um, a style I don't like if it is a really well-made version of that style sure. and if it's good, but I still would have given it a one because it's not something I would ever order again because it was so inferior to Nugget Nectar. Yeah. And... And I, I don't believe this part at all, but it was it was a brewery owner that t- 
was talking to me about people who rate beers and said that me as a public figure, which I use that extremely loosely. Um, <laughs> Chris, you're pretty famous nowadays. Man. No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, that it's, and they weren't telling me like that I shouldn't, but that, um, that for some reason someone might think that my opinion on a beer mattered more or so like that's when i stopped rating mm -hmm. even though i don't for a second believe anyone cares if i like a beer or not um and then it just i almost completely stopped using it because of the typically now the only times i'm drinking are with people and i've started to try to be much more conscientious about being yeah. on my phone constantly yeah. while i'm with people because it infuriates me when other people do it i mean in the world graham does that a lot digital world there's <laughs> damn it graham he was you should see the way he was looking at you oh, when he started normal. talking about this it was his death stare of <laughs> <laughs> which part I, I i can't remember the whole thing yeah no it when was he, definitely the start he, like why are we actually talking about this right now um <laughs> This thing in the digital world, it's like, oh, I have another app that I can interact with friends with, you know? Yeah. Like, maybe that's the way things are going. But, like, we can at least choose our own course. Like, we'll still put beers on there. But as brewery owners and brewers and marketers and people who sell beer, like, we're not necessarily going to use it as, like, a defining characteristic of, of, of how people, what people thought about this beer, too. And Graham, the reason why we're talking about this is because I just listened to that podcast about it. <laughs> <laughs> Graham needs a mic. He needs to be like Kaylee on DC 101 where she every, pipes yeah. in every... <laughs> every uh, he occasionally does keep one over there right. so that he can chime in whenever I say something right that on. he finds ex <laughs> <laughs> extremely annoying. He's also played games with shutting my mic off or things like that. <laughs> Um, when we get into the barrel aged stout, that might be the uh, time to, you might want to shut this thing off. You know? <laughs> That's when it's going to go downhill. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> might go down before then. Who knows? <laughs> oh, man. All right. So, next topic, since Graham didn't like that one, <laughs> the, um, you guys are doing a collaboration with Guinness. We are. Yep. How did that come about? I don't even really know honestly like we've been hanging out with those guys for a while holly who's a brewer over there comes into the tap room a lot she lives in baltimore and it kind of just got to the point where we're like why don't we do something together and you know they helped us move our lager tank into the brewery so yeah. the oh, least cool. we at least we can do is go brew a beer with them yeah. <laughs> they when they first came on the scene um they were i think ryan wagner got in touch with us who's their ambassador he's also yeah. the voice of the Orioles in the stadium in Camden Yards. Um, I think we just became friends. And then once they finally got open, like Tom said, Holly would come in. And she was also part of our uh, CSA every Wednesday during the summer and the fall. So she would stop in and grab her vegetables or her fruits and then grab a beer and hang out with us. Um, and they, I specifically remember when they were like, why don't we brew a beer together? And I was like, what? Like, you guys like your track record and meaning like where they've brewed before and the experience they have and she's now in by uh what woman of the year in the beer industry yeah um which was pretty awesome which is yeah we didn't know that and at the time. Well, very well deserving totally. she's awesome um you just kind of like i don't know like do we do this do we not do, okay if we're gonna do it what are we doing 
you know and then that's kind of where like before we agreed to anything we basically said to them like all right can we brew these this style of beer at your place and then when you come over to ours can we brew this style of beer um so uh i think we'll wait till probably a little bit later in february to say what exactly we're brewing unless tom wants to uh i think it was already announced honestly so we're doing a czech dark lager there um and we're using the harp lager yeast which is kind of like pretty cool for me and the other brewers that work with us dave and megan to be able to work with an ingredient that like typically your average brewer would never get to touch so like a collaboration for me is most interesting when us three as the brewers at diamondback get to learn something that we can't learn on our own so that was really really cool it was kind of ironic because you know holly came over and pitched this idea to us and like zach and i were like two days out from leaving to go to the czech republic and we were like oh sweet we'll go drink like a, <laughs> nice. a shit ton of czech dark lagers and report back with our findings 450 a piece or whatever they were over there now yeah. everything was a tax right yeah now. so we were we were able to kind of see some of the recipes <laughs> for czech dark lagers over there and we came back and kind of were able to decide like what's too sweet what's too dry what kind of flavors we want to put in here and we kind of formulated our own recipe and we're going on the 20th to go brew it with Guinness. So that'll be on their 10-barrel system. Yeah, their there. smaller system. Um, and then what are you going to brew at Diamondback? We haven't quite decided yet. We have a couple ideas. I don't want to throw any of them out there if they're not going to come to fruition. Yeah. But we have certain ideas of what we want to do. And you should do like a stout or a porter so you can try to get your hands on the Guinness yeast. <laughs> it, it doesn't leave yeah. the brewery. I already <laughs> asked. <laughs> that, that was the next thing I was yeah. going to say. I'm yeah. betting that they would never put I'd that into your tank. that yeast up for five years to come here. <laughs> yeah, we don't get that one, unfortunately. But we'll see. You know, there's plenty of cool ideas out there. I remember when I, I, I was at St. James Gate and they when they went through – I believe there's like part of it where like they actually show a, a safe or something and they go on about how protective Guinness is yeah. about that yeast. I can, I mean, like, uh, I feel like they could give me all the ingredients and I still wouldn't be able to make it the way no they way. do. So, like, <laughs> what's the, who even cares? The water quality is not the same, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah I'd like it. And then I just picture, oh, actually, no, it doesn't. Well, no, they're, they use the Guinness yeast there on a lot of the stuff that they make. So like I just kind of like picture a Brinks truck pulling up and like there's two guys with like the nuclear football almost like it's yeah, like right? in a briefcase uh, shackled to someone's arm yep. carrying it into the brewery Here's for them job. to be able I mean, to use it. If I spent hundreds of millions of dollars creating something like that, I would want to protect it probably too. So yeah. I, they I do. totally get it. She uses the Smittix yeast sometimes on her um, hazy IPAs or New England style IPAs. Um and it was you know, pretty interesting to hear that because, I mean, I don't know how many people are drinking Smittix nowadays, but um, it's just cool to see the way that I they I guess actually... if you order a um, black and tan at, or a half and half, whatever term you want to use at, yeah. a, at a, a bar, then you may be drinking a Smittix. Yeah. Um, Delia Foley's, man. You can get the Smittix yeah. and Guinness, right? Yeah. You get like 20 <laughs> options there. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, yeah, because there's different terms. Like if it if it's a Smittix and Guinness, it's called one thing. Yeah. If it's a Harp yeah. and Guinness, it's called something else. They've got them all labeled above the bar. Yeah, like and ciders and Guinness. It's, don't know. It gets kind of nasty. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. That doesn't it sound can get good. Bad. <laughs> so. But they. Uh, yeah, it's just interesting to hear that they could mess around with that yeast strain. So, um, they're. I mean, they're experimenting quite often over there yeah they've done a lot of corporate diageo guinness as they might be um they've got freedom to just now those beers aren't making it to the market or most of them are not 
Um, but the ones that are staying in the tap room are, are awesome. And Dave was over there last Saturday, said the place was, you almost didn't, you know, you were, you walked in, you were like, whew, this place is packed. Um, so it's awesome to hear that people are just embracing them, um, in Baltimore and first Guinness brewery in the United States in 60 years or so. Yeah, and um, the first purpose-built one. Okay. In the, the here. Yeah. Because I think the, the one that was in Long Island was like a bottler or something, and then they took it over. And yeah. Then... Well, Be United will do that. They'll ship over like either unfermented wort or fermented wort, um, and they'll actually then carbonate it here or bright it here, and then they'll can it. It's an insane operation. I don't know if Guinness is into that sort of stuff, but they – it's pretty interesting to see, you know, how they actually make it make it happen around the world. Do you know who who will you be brewing with? Would it be with Just Holly or is the I assume I think the whole crew's gonna yeah, be there. cool. Yeah. Be Todd cool and for all of us. um I for I'm blanking on I've met the other brewers. Sean. One, yeah, Sean, Sean, Holly, Todd. There's a couple other ones there's in there. One too. other guy, I can't remember his name though. Um yeah. I think there's a girl in there too. Um Yeah, Holly. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I th- she helped us move the tank. Yeah, in, uh, I know. There's well. a couple. We'll have to do yeah, a name I, check. I, think, I think they've hired a few people recently yeah. of ones I didn't know. I mean, they've got to run the 100 hecto, and then they've got to run the, the 10 barrel as well. Yep. Um, and uh, they um, – yeah. So it's it's going to be awesome. We'll bring our whole team over there and um, hang out with them on the 20th and, and brew and then figure out what we're going to do at our facility after that. Um pretty tickled by it honestly it's uh you 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 know you try not to be too uh too giddy about it in the moment but you say to yourself like you got an opportunity to brew with uh one of the most well-known breweries in the world um and they're right here in baltimore um it's pretty cool you know you you don't want to you don't want to play those things down too much don't play it up too much but don't play it down too much because you got into this for, for certain reasons and reasons of making good beer and serving into community and um, surrounding counties in Maryland and DC as well. And uh, it's an honor when somebody comes to you and say, you know, we've, we think you guys are doing a good enough job to, to be able to brew with you. And we like you as people and um, Tom's going to learn something from them and hopefully they'll learn something from us as well. Yeah, there's um, a lot of knowledge on that team for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. I said it was uh, probably about five, five or six years ago now. Uh, I brewed a beer with Todd at Monocacy mm-hmm. when he was the head brewer there. We did a um, red IPA gotcha. for the newspaper's 125th anniversary. Dang. And I think it, I just did a beer with Monocacy last year, but I think Todd I think Todd had already left for Guinness by the time we brewed that. Yeah. They brought him on early to that three-barrel system they were yeah. operating off of to keep the- I think he was the third person they hired. It was okay. Peter, Holly, then Todd. Right. He can pretty much walk to work if he wanted to. Yeah. Todd said he's like literally right around the corner. So if there's any like last minute things need done or there's like a disaster, he can like right over there. He's like, it's a good and a bad thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I remember when um, I had him as a co-host when I had Ryan on. Okay. And it was when like they didn't even have the test tap room open yet. Yep. And one of Todd's coworkers told me if – and that reason I had him on is because I – we had been talking about how excited he was about that opening right yeah. around his house. And one of his coworkers had told me if I see him take out his resume to rip it out of his hands. Right. <laughs> yes. um, 
But Todd has told me that from that, he got to know Ryan, and that's how he ended up at Guinness. There you go. <laughs> so that's awesome. I'm looking forward to trying that. That's, um, yeah, we are too. Whenever it comes out, they're saying sometime after St. Patrick's Day, they're playing up their big party that they're going to have there, which is a slightly ticketed event or um, on St. Patrick's Day. I think they're going to have events the whole week, but then they'll play it up to the, the big I shebang f- on the 17th. I feel like that would be a miserable place to go to on St. Patrick's <laughs> Day. Yeah. The, Depends on who you are, you know? The I mean, I guess if it is a ticketed event, then it maybe it wouldn't be completely miserable. Yeah. But it's still going to be a mob scene. Yeah, I can't even yeah. imagine how many people will descend upon there to mm-hmm. pretend they're Irish. <laughs> <laughs> a lot. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Talk about Americanizing something else yeah. again. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, the capitalism, just yeah. the profit off of it. Um, so what else? Actually, that is that ends my list of things I wanted to cover. So now um, can, what do you guys have going on that I don't know about yet that... I would say we're pretty excited about the patio this summer. Um, we've really got a, a nice lineup of festivals that are set in stone at the moment. Um, but then also some things to fill in the gap from month to month. So I think the first big one we'll kick it off with is Greener Fest on April 20th. Um, that's our annual festival that we have each year with live bands. And uh, we do the Cold Taxi and, and Greener Machine on that day, which is the double IPA version of Green Machine. Um, and then, um, throw an after party at Wiley Gunters up the street, um, trying to do some acoustic bluegrass there as well. Um, just kind of keep the vibe going throughout the entire day. Um, and then from, let's see, like May to August, um, we'll try and do at least once a month of, of a good music act out there on the patio. Cause it is, I would say one of the best hidden, quaint, well-built up, uh, patios, uh, in the in the beer scene in Maryland, um, you know you got the smoke stock yeah. stack as your backdrop, and then we usually have a bar outside. Um, and then Stein Day kind of gets into our, our big one, which is usually September. Um, might bump back to October this year, but um, we're looking to have some bands for that one. I think we did uh, three or four loggers last year, um, so we'll look to build that that resume back up, that beer list back up for um, for Logger Day. Um, Stein Day, I guess we're calling it now. Um, and then also the release of our, our mixed fermentation beers here in the spring and summer. We um, also have the, the barrel age coming out yep, the yep. 23rd of February, too. Oh, so yeah. that we'll have all three of those ready in bottles and on draft. Yep. So that, yeah, we've got a um, bourbon barrel age whiskey or bourbon barrel age stout coming out. Um, we've got Pinot Noir barrel aged stout coming out and then a blend of the two so three variants um that will release on the 23rd um we're doing kind of like a showcase in the barrel room that day so um coming to the tap room sign up for uh tour and tasting take you back to the barrel room pour you on the variants um and uh, you'll be able to purchase bottles then as well uh, outside public will be able to purchase bottles too you don't have to take the tour back to the um the where is room. the barrel room Technically, just on the back side of the wall behind the brew house. Okay. So as you look from the tap room into the brew house on the other side of the wall, it's right there. Okay. Um, but you got to go down a, a long corridor hallway to get to it um, to access it. We haven't blown that wall out yet and put staircase up. Um, it's pretty quaint right now. I mean, it's a 
quite a small room, I would say, but we've got upwards of 30 barrels in there. Um, there's a 10-barrel uni tank, um, horizontal lagering tank in there that um, we haven't pitched anything into quite yet. Still trying to figure that puppy out at the moment. Um, but, uh, yeah, take you back there. I think everybody has kind of been like, what's in that room? <laughs> um, we're not ready to release it quite yet, but when we are, um, we'll open the doors wide open. It's, it's no secret back there. Um, it's just exciting because in our on our end of things, a lot of people say, why don't you do the kettle sours anymore? And a lot of the reason is that it holds up your, your kettle for 36 hours. Um, that kettle is vital to us every day of the week. Um, so we try not to hold that thing up too much. And it's also about like bringing a different style of beer to the market here that isn't mass produced. Um, it doesn't have a ton of hype around it, but it still has that full flavor that you're looking for in your sour beers. Um, and I wouldn't even say it's like sour. It's got a little more funk to it. Yeah. Um, so it's got some education piece to it. Um, and when we're ready to release whatever variants we have of that one, um, we'll announce it. But I assume it'll be in 2019. I just don't know what months quite yet. Are you going to package that at all or it'll just be on tap? Yeah, we'll, bo- we'll do both. Cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. We, we have like probably four barrels going right now that are getting to the maturity level that is okay to, to package. And then we'll probably bottle condition them for another couple months and then release them. So maybe we could shoot for like early midsummer on those first blends. And then from there, we'll kind of just keep growing the program. We're calling it the other side project yep. on the other side of the wall. Oh. <laughs> yeah. 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 Nice. So we have different, different labels and stuff coming out for all the bottles that we'll have. Um, and you'll see that kind of towards the 23rd. Yeah, because actually that was another change that has taken place mm-hmm. since the last time I talked to you. Your branding, um, I mean, your logo is the same, but the the look of your cans is very different than what it was before. It's much yeah. more uniform now instead of yeah. the... It's less complicated. Let me say that <laughs> from the person that has to deal with the art stuff. It's less complicated. <laughs> so. A lot of it was, and our artists that we had before did such a great job on it, but when your release times are so tight together, yeah. contacting him to actually get art back in a timely manner, it wasn't that it wasn't working on it at all. It's just more that it takes time for those sorts of things. It's a creative yeah. process. So when we bought the canning line, we just decided to go just uh, flat simplicity. Um, the cans look great all next to each other. I love it. Um, but it makes it easy because all we have to do is just switch description on the outside, make some color changes, and then uh, a name change as well. And we send it right to Hub Labels, and then they send it right back to us within seven to ten days or so. Um, and we know what our release schedule is month to month, so we can make that change pretty quick. Um, just also branding image-wise, like even though these beers are not liquor stores except for Green Machine and select locations, you can look at them side by side and say both of those yeah. are Diamondback. Um, whereas before... You could if you looked close, but the artwork always varied. Um, So a lot of people said, bring back the old cans, or some people said, bring back the old cans. But um, that kind of part of Diamondback, I think, is dead and gone for good and bad reasons, I would say. Now it's like at some point when in the future you can have the special throwback release. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) When Omar's coming back, right? And print the (laughs) the (laughs) you. I mean, I think more and more us doing everything in-house is awesome. Canning it to label design to everything um, has been – it's been fun to – you know, we all touch every every part of this, so – it's exciting. 
when you release a beer. For sure. We got a can green machine today. So. Yeah, we have to go back and can green machine. <laughs> <laughs> so um, when are we going to do an uncapped beer? Oh, Chris. <laughs> we'll work you in, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> when we don't have four would, loggers going. Because <laughs> that would, uh, an uncapped logo would look good. I think right next there. To that, yeah. <laughs> that would look pretty look good. Chris, it only and took I'll two m- podcasts to finally get your sense of humor. So. <laughs> 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 um, I mean, I'm almost as prestigious as Guinness. <laughs> Whoa, you it's tried a- to play down your celebrity, <laughs> yeah. and now you're bringing <laughs> it back <laughs> up? Which one do you want? Now that I want something. Hat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've had too. <laughs> I see how this world works. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right when you want something, you start cozying up a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, is there anything else you gentlemen want to cover? I think we're good, man. Let's drink some stout. Yes, yeah, so, uh, for sure. That, that may be best done off air because uh, <laughs> who knows where that's going to end up. Um, uh, probably going to be useless for the rest of the day now. Yeah, me too. Um, oh, actually, we almost forgot. No, you guys have to do a shot of whiskey. Oh, nice. <laughs> so Zach's going to be getting mad low fills today. <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> so <laughs> untapped, uh, or sorry, uncapped. Uh, listeners uh, over under on three cases of uh wow chris don't give today. us too much man <laughs> so this is did you, um, you distill this or yes i made i, I made it with mcclintock um distilling really? in downtown frederick oh, nice. it's oh, a nice. um single malt whiskey dry hopped well get the not not here. dry hopped um hop infused. hop infused so like um they have their gin baskets they make a lot their gin's amazing okay we put a bunch of uk goldings and meridian hops in the gin basket so it vapor infused mm. um that's pretty cool and this will be out probably another year from now because this was just aged in a little barrel for a couple of months and then they mm. have a full-size barrel yeah aging it now it'll be out um well, cheers guys so thank you gentlemen for coming on thank you everyone for watching and listening cheers cheers appreciate it thanks graham the uncapped podcast is produced by graham cullen and me chris sands be sure to like us on facebook and if you've enjoyed these podcasts please leave us a review on google play or the itunes store a special thanks to double motorcycle for providing our theme music thanks for listening oh my god that's good